Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. I'm pretty short-winded, so if you're visiting here today, I only preach for about two hours, so it won't be that bad at all, and uh, we're honored to have each of you here, and uh, if this is your first time here, welcome. Um, I'm actually going to talk about our worship a little bit, and, and I, I, I've had this burning in me for a couple uh, months now, but a couple weeks ago, I made a statement, and the statement was, if you only knew what was behind that shout. And, and I want to really press into that. And, and a lot of times in our worship service, you'll see a lot of different things. You'll hear a lot of things. And, and, and you'll experience so much. And, and here's the amazing thing is there's always something behind that shout. And, and let, me, let me just expand here a little bit before I get into this. And, and honestly, I'm only going to be a few minutes. Um, I, don't call me a liar if I don't hold on to that. But my goal is a few minutes. So, so here's the, the deal. Many of us have been saved from something and, and we've been saved to something. It, it, he doesn't just fall short and save you out of something to not call you to something. So many times what's behind our shout, what's behind our worship is the depth of revelation. It's the depth of an experience of something we've been brought from or being brought to. So many times you'll hear, like, some of my favorite people in worship, honestly, here is the Brittany Reeds who just yell out or sue justice. And, and Kenny, may, may, some of you may have been hearing, hearing Kenny today, glory. Yeah. Listen, there is something behind that shout, or you'll hear Pam sing out in a loud voice or, or see her lay down and, and, like, what is going on? What is this chaos in this church? What, is this heresy? What's going on? Listen, there is something behind that shout. There is something, there's a depth that it, we can't just judge the shout. But let me, let me just get real with you. Sue Justice, she's not here today, but man, she just shouts out these loud shouts sometimes during worship when she feels the tangible presence of Jesus. This is a woman that was delivered and redeemed from having an abortion and who's now published a book to save others from having an abortion. Listen, if you only knew their story, you wouldn't judge their shout. If you only knew the shout behind Kenny's glory, if you only knew the story behind who he was and the depth of his worship and the depth of that shout, it isn't just a shout for attention. Listen, there's a heart of worship that's going on there. There's a heart of an encounter that's happening there. If you only knew the story of Pam and what she's been through and, 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 and what's happened the last couple decades in her life, if you only knew her story, Jan Robinson, she's on sabbatical right now, but she started up a flag ministry here. And oftentimes, until about a year ago, she's traveling the country now to see her daughter on the West Coast and different things, but taking some breathers. But she'll be up here with flags. And let me just tell you, like, that was weird to me. I'm not going to deny that. It was weird to me to see, like, these flags going around during worship. It was weird to me to start seeing art up here during worship. But listen, we had Jan over for dinner one night. And she starts going through her story. She starts going through her sexual abuse as a child, being beaten by husbands, and going through this whole story. And then, but God. So she hang, holds up these banners and she waves them for the Lord because now she's free. When she was once oppressed, she was once down, but now she's free. 
Dustin. Dustin runs our art ministry, and he says his paintbrush is his instrument in worship for Jesus. If you only knew what was behind that paintbrush. This is a kid whose mom left him to go pursue drugs, and now he paints for Jesus because he found freedom. Now he paints for Jesus because he found, and he has revelation of who God really is and how good the Father really is and how much he loves him. If you remember Michael, they're living in Reading now, and, and Michael would be up there, and, and he'd do this like war dance, and he'd just go crazy. If you only knew the story behind Michael, you know, if you only knew what was behind this shout, if you only knew what was behind some of these dances, we would never look at them ever again the same. We'd keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because all that's just distraction if we don't know the heart anyway. His mom was pregnant with him and found out she had cancer. So she denied any treatments to save his life and dies when he's six months old. So he was raised by a single father and three older brothers and has a pretty rough life. But then he dances. Why? Because he found freedom in Christ. He found freedom in a really good daddy. He found empowerment in a powerful God. That's what's behind some of these dances, behind some of these shouts, behind some of these expressions of worship. I watch football. O-H. I watch football, and I look on football, and I see this Buckeyes game, and I see the guy that, that has his face all painted going nuts, and I see a guy who has this crazy hat on and all these Buckeyes. And not for a second do I judge them. I get excited because they're passionate about their team. I see these guys with no shirts on and painted blue at UK games, right? I see all these things, and not for a second do we judge them. We just think they're a little crazy, but we kind of admire it. We admire that freedom, right? Like, that's kind of crazy, but I kind of like it. If we could only look at worship that same way, and we could only look at people experiencing God in that same way, and we could only look at how people express things so different, all of a sudden, our countenance would change towards judgment on people who worship different than we do. Let me, let me go to scripture here. Worship is simply a revelation of who God is. Praise, we, we are thanking God for what he's done, but worship is just strictly adoration for who he is. Oftentimes we say, we'll, we'll find, I'll, I'll find people praying, say, well, if this is your will, God, then do it. Listen, there's many things that we're praying, we're asking if it's God's will, when it's automatic that it's his will. Let, let me just be really honest with you. He tells us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. So he's telling us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So right there is a clue. Wait a second. We have the right to bring heaven to earth in our situation, in our health, in our finances. Is there bankruptcy in heaven? Is there divorce in heaven? Is there depression in heaven? Is there sickness and disease in heaven? No, so what he's praying is, is that that is my will to heal. Not only do I want to, not only can I can, but I want to. But let me, let me also put it to you, to you this way. If we want to know his will, let's figure out his nature. And if we want to know his nature, what's he call himself? ChristianAnswers.net says there's 951 titles of God in the Bible. So let me just tell you this. Sometimes we focus on the giants, but for every giant we're facing, God has a title for Let's not get overwhelmed by giants in this season. Let's not get overwhelmed by giants. Let's get overwhelmed by God's presence and his goodness. Listen, we're facing all these giants and there's all these, these situations. Some of you might be facing, uh, you know, 
relationship issues or financial issues or job issues or family issues or crisis or disease or whatever it might be. Listen, I'm here to tell you, when you get overwhelmed by his presence, none of those situations will overwhelm you. Why? Because you know you have the key that slays the giant. Because for every giant in our life, every giant in our situation, he says that his grace is sufficient and he's got a title for that. He's got a nature for that. He's got a will and a purpose for that. Let me, let me go to this. We, we redecorated the stage last Sunday night, and man, what a, what a great theme it is. So it brought me to Isaiah 9.6. Isaiah 9.6, it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Whew! Isn't it amazing to know that God didn't just come to be Savior? He didn't just come to be a judge. He didn't just come to be Lord. He came to be healer. He came to be a mighty one, a prince of peace, a counselor. Guess what that means? That means in my mess, in my marital mess, he's a counselor. And he's the best counselor you could ever imagine. He's an intercessor and he's going on your behalf. But let me just say this. He's not forgot about your children. He's not forgot about your circumstance. He's not forgot about your grandchildren. You, you have the greatest intercessor going ahead of you on your behalf, and he sits next to the Father, and he's already went ahead of you. I really feel like, like to tell you this, the heaven to earth thing, like he's calling us. He didn't die on a cross just so that we can make it into heaven. He died on a cross so heaven can also make it into us and around us. John 10.10 says that God, that that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life and what? Life abundantly. He came to give eternal life in heaven, but also abundant life here on earth is what that translates to. He came to give life and life abundantly. So listen, when he was on the cross, when I saw that manger, Nicole just put that up this morning, and, and I saw that joy in that manger, like it says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Who's the joy set before him? We are. The joy set before him, he chose to be beaten, to be ridiculed, to be spit on, to be tortured, so that he could seek and save that which was lost. The joy set before him is us, to seek and save that which was lost. Not just who, that. Listen, some of us have lost our joy. Some of us have lost some things. Some of us have had some injustices that we talked about last week. But I'm here to tell you, he's here to seek and save that which was lost. So the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured it by choice. And here's what happened. It says that the veil was torn. The veil was ripped. Listen, we have to go back to the tabernacle to to actually understand the symbolism of the veil. The veil was what separated the, the tabernacle. It was a separation from the holiest of holies. Only the high priest could go beyond the veil and only one day a year called the Day of Atonement. So he would go and offer sacrifices on your behalf on the Day of Atonement, only the high priest beyond the veil. So here's what's symbolic about this is, and many churches aren't going to preach this because all of a sudden, I know that I can control people if I look at them as my people. You're not my people. This isn't my church. You're God's people. This is your church. You're the bride. You're the body. You have an all-access pass to Jesus. You have an all-access pass to heaven. And here's what happened. So it says when he died on the cross, the ground began to shake. It trembled. And it says the veil was removed from heaven to earth. 
It was torn in two, meaning it was ripped apart so that we can have an all-access pass. And I believe it was symbolic saying from heaven to earth. I'm only quoting you scripture. Listen, you don't need me to get to the Father. You don't, you don't need a system. You don't need a church. Like, like all of a sudden, you get to enter his gates with praise and his, and his courts with thanksgiving. You get to enter this place of worship. You get to have your shout. You get to have your dance. Listen, every time you get revealed another nature of God, you get this amazing, beautiful picture of God. Next week, I'm going through that song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and the lyrical, poetic, creative depth of what that song is, and tying it into scripture, and I can't wait for it. It's part two of this message of worship, worshiping a savior this time of year. But listen, we are at this place that we get to go into worship, and and here's what I think. The angels are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Revelation 4 paints this picture. Many times, Revelation is used as this fear book to scare us into into heaven, or rather, scare the hell out of us, rather than get the love of the Father in us. So many times in the way I grew up was this religious system that was all about fear and judgment and God was only a judge. And it wasn't until 12 years ago while I was an atheist, I encountered this amazing, loving, kind friend and father and savior and Lord and and the I am and, and the almighty and the alpha and the omega and the Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Jehovah Rafi, our healer, the Jehovah Nietzsche, you know, our banner, our advocate, our victor. All of a sudden, I get exposed. So here's what I think in heaven, and I'm going to express this next week. I believe when they're singing holy, holy, holy for eternity, and it never gets old, with the cherubim and the angels and the four living creatures with eyeballs all around them, it's because they never get bored, and they can never take their eyes off Jesus and how majestic he really is. And every time they sing out holy, I believe this, it's a new nature of God that was revealed to them for eternity. Holy, holy, holy. That's what I really believe because over and over for eternity, the goodness and the nature of God is being revealed and unwrapped to them. Listen, that gets to be our journey for the rest of our lives, that we get to go on this mysterious, amazing adventure with Christ, with God, to see the 951 titles of who he really is. Now I don't have to serve God, I get to serve God. Now I don't have to go to church. I get to go to church. Now I don't have to have a relationship and pray and worship God. I get to. Why? Because just maybe another nature of one of his titles will be revealed to me and I get to see depth and more revelation of Jesus. I'm more than halfway done, I promise. Let's go to 2 Samuel 6. That was a great introduction to the meat of this message. People are laughing, like, yeah, I think he's serious. He's definitely telling the truth there. Listen, David, he's, as, as I said that comment just a couple weeks ago, if you only knew what was behind their shout, if you only knew the story, we wouldn't any longer judge it or want to try to control it or be distracted by it. All of a sudden, this picture of David comes to my mind, and I just want to go through some of this. It says, in the ark of the Lord, 2 Samuel 6, 11, I'm going to go through about 22. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. Just 
just so you know, the Ark of the Lord or the Ark of the Covenant represents, it's actually symbolic, it is his presence, okay? So it says this, Obed-Edom hosted his presence. Now, now, just before this, David was afraid to do anything with the presence because the guy that was helping handle the Ark of the Covenant was struck down dead by God for basically dishonoring it. I'd be a little scared too. So they park this thing at Obed-Edom's house, and they, they, Obed-Edom hosts the presence, hosts the Ark of the Covenant for three months. And what does it look like if we as a family, we as a home, you as a person in your home and you as a family unit would host his presence for three months? Just three months, it says his whole household was blessed. Let, let's, let's read on here, 12. And it was told to King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all the belongings to him because the Ark of God. So David went and brought up the Ark of, the God, uh, of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those bore the Ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. It kind of reminds me of heaven over and over, holy, holy, every six steps. Whew. We're going to rejoice, we're going to sacrifice, we're going to worship. And then it goes on to say this, and, and David danced, this is the key verse here, 14, and David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod, say ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a horn. Listen, there was an ephod, and I used to think, well, he danced out of his clothes, I want to put this in context. Listen, David has a story. David was saved from a lion. David was saved from a bear. David was saved from a giant. David was saved from Saul, who wanted to murder him and all of his family. But he's dancing before the Lord with all of his might. He's in the middle of the street, clothed with just an ephod, just a, just a priestly garment. Now listen, David is king at this time. I want to put this in context because there's something that the presence does to us and a revelation in worship does to us. It puts us all in the same level playing field. He unclothed his king robe so that he could worship like a priest. He was worshiping like a prince. He was still worshiping as royalty, but he was no longer a king. It was what the average person would wear of that time. Worship in his presence brought him down to humility to say, it's about you, Jesus. It's about worshiping you. It's not about anything else. It's not about my authority. It's not about my title. It's not about my possessions right now. I'm bringing, I'm humbling down. I'm submitting myself just to worship you with all of my might in the middle of the street. He still worshiped as royalty, but he was no longer worshiping as a king. He was worshiping as a son. There's a difference there. There's a difference from knowing entitlement and knowing an encounter with the Father. I don't do this stuff because I have to. I do it because I get to. Listen, David had a shout. David had a dance. David had a story. David had a revelation I believe that David was one of the greatest kings. In the Bible, my favorite king that ever lived. Why? Because he represented so many of us that he had faults. When kings should be at war, he's up on a rooftop looking at a woman sunbathing. He had some mistakes. He messed up. He had some failures. But all of a sudden, when push comes to shove, he's pursuing Jesus, and he's saying, restore to me the joy of my salvation, God. He's still dancing with all of his might before the Lord, even in his failures, and God is honoring things. And I believe this. I believe David understood worship, and he understood honor. 
And I'll take those two qualities in any person serving with me any day of the week. There's some things you can't teach, you can only experience, and that's worship, and that's honor. Let, let, me, let me move on here for the sake of time. 16, as the ark of the Lord came into the city, David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Man, isn't it amazing what jealousy will do? Isn't it amazing when we take our eyes off the king and we don't have heavenly glasses on and we start seeing from a worldly perspective of what David really was, was doing or not doing? Let's, let's continue on to verse 20 here. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls as his servants as any vulgar fellow would. She's accusing him of being vulgar and being provocative and, and being haphazard in these things. And she's casting daggers at him out of jealousy looking from a window. Let me just tell you, it gets really dangerous when we take our eyes off the king and onto people. It gets really dangerous when we stop focusing on presence and we start focusing on people. Or we stop, even as a church, stop focusing on presence and we start focusing on programs or people or finances or whatever it might be. We need to stay focused on the presence and then it doesn't matter what anybody else does around us. And if we have the right perspective, it doesn't matter what they're doing anyway. And we're probably gonna see them with the heart of God that they're amazing. And they must have encountered God because to dance like that with no, no pride and no shame and no, no reservations, they must have been with Jesus at one point. They must have encountered a spirit that was greater than themselves. Let's, let's finish this. The band can come. David Saul said to, said to Michal, I was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house. When he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Lord's people, Israel, I will celebrate before the Lord. <laughs> He's confronting her. He's saying, listen, I, I, I'm not doing this on my own. God chose me. He's confronting her lies. He's confronting her disbeliefs. He's confronting her jealousy. He's basically putting her in her place. And he says, but listen, I will celebrate before the Lord. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care who's watching. I don't care what the people's opinion over me. I'm the king of this land, but I will dance like a prince. I will dance like a son, and I will dance in an ephod. Listen, some of us just need the ephod moment. To all reservations go out the window, and we just actually are comfortable lifting our hands. We're comfortable laying out before Jesus, just, just bowing down like God. Not just doing what I'm told to do, but doing what I get to do. Let me, let me finish up here. He says this, I will celebrate before the Lord. In closing here, the last verse, 22. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Listen, they're seeing me from a different perspective. They're seeing me with God's heart. They're seeing me with my agenda to just worship the king of kings. You're seeing me from a jealous heart. You're seeing me from a perspective that isn't from what God's seeing me right now. But there's something behind my shout. There's something behind my dance. There's something behind my submission. There's something behind my arms raised. There's something behind, behind my, my exuberant praise. Nicole and I, we were the youth pastors here for seven years. And I can't tell you how many young ladies we met with who have been raped. 
I can't tell you how many young people we've met with who have been abused or neglected or sexually abused or physically abused. And I would see them worshiping. I would see them free. I would see them stop cutting themselves. I would see this transformation in their life based on what God did, based on how God intervened and did something in them that they couldn't do themselves. Listen, there is always something behind that cry. And just because somebody comes to the altar doesn't mean they just absolutely fouled up that weekend. It might mean they're actually going deeper with the Messiah. It might mean that they actually just are getting another revelation of one of the 951 titles and natures of God. We need to quit casting judgment and actually let God do that one thing that he does really good. We just get to worship. We get to enjoy the show. We get to enjoy the presence. We get to host his presence. Let me finish up with this. Matthew 1.23. Actually, let's read it in Isaiah first. I love it, and I'm setting up the Christmas message here. But Christmas would be very boring and pointless if we didn't actually worship the Savior who came to give us a really good gift called Christmas. Named Jesus Christ. I love that the prophecies of the old, the prophecies of the prophets from the Old Testament so line up and fulfilled absolutely it in the New Testament. So here we have Isaiah in 9, what we read. Unto us a child is born. He shall be called. That's the series that we're kicking off today. He shall be called. He shall be called 951 titles that will change my life. And it says this in Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will, will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. We go back, we go all the way to, fast forward to Matthew 1, 23. And it says this. This is the angel now showing up. It says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Listen, David wasn't dancing alone in those streets. He was dancing with the king because he was the prince. He had to unclothe the robe because he was dancing with the king and he couldn't be at the king's place while he was worshiping. That's really good. Listen, we need to come in as sons and daughters we get to worship the king of kings and we get to take off the robe because there's no responsibility on us in worship I'm not talking about playing an instrument there is something behind this guitar Eric has a story behind the guitar Jessica has a story behind the piano listen Julie has a story behind the microphone there is a story behind every person up here there's a story behind this microphone right now there's a story and it's beautiful. You have your own story. And God's just calling us to have the ephod moment where we get to worship him, where the veil was torn. I don't even have to have music going because worship's actually my heart. Listen, you're not alone. You're not alone. Emmanuel, God with us. When I worship, all of a sudden, all the angels join me and I join in with them and we get to glorify the king of kings. And I don't have to do it with a king's robe on. I get to do it as me. I get to do it in the most simple form, the most average form, however that is. It says make a joyful noise, not a good one. I don't care how off key you are. I don't care how you do it. I don't care what posture you use. God is just looking for your ephod moment. Stand with me.
let me just tell you, no matter where you are, no matter how long you've been there, we have something to praise about and we have someone to worship and his name's Jesus. Let me just tell you, your situation, your giant, God has a title for. He has a nature for. He has a will for. Sometimes my ephod moment is just simply this. It's just sitting. Sometimes I get so overwhelmed, I just have to sit or or lay down and, and stretch out my hands and just give it to him. Sometimes this is my sacrifice. Not all of us can dance like Michael up here or or not all of us can shout like Sue. God's not looking for somebody else's worship. Just like with David, he didn't want to have him wear somebody else's armor. He's just looking for you. David tried on the king's armor, it was too big. You have to fight the battle. You have to worship the way you were called to worship. Some of you are like Dustin, you may worship with a paintbrush. Some of you may worship, you know, in your car driving or, or just when you wake up in the morning and you're getting that shower and you're singing and it sounds hideous, but it sounds so beautiful to Jesus. It sounds so beautiful when you join the angels, whatever that looks like. But for me, sometimes it's just sitting and it's just, for me, that ephod moment, that sacrificial worship is silencing everything else going on in my brain. It's silencing what I have to preach about in 15 minutes. It's silencing the chaos and the responsibility as a fire lieutenant, as a dad, as a husband, as a pastor. And sometimes I just get to sit in his presence and I get to dwell on how good he really is. It's an amazing feeling knowing that in this responsibility, in this ephod moment as a son, he's not asking for anything at all. He's not asking for a decision. He's not asking for for, for finances. He's not asking for responsibility. He's only asking for my heart and my worship and my adoration. And when I get to that moment, it gets so easy that I just get to be. Just do that with me. Just hold your hands out. It has been so powerful here the last few weeks. And I believe there is literally spirit of impartation here where God is taking us so deep that God is revealing himself layer by layer by layer. And the Bible says that we'll never understand the mysteries of God. But let me just tell you, I'm having a whole lot of fun trying. So right now, just just take that moment. We're just going to usher in the presence again. We're going to usher in an atmosphere of worship, and I just want you to join in. I believe there's a, there's a release of a sound in here right now. I believe there's a sound that's rising right now. I believe there's an ephod moment rising right now. I believe there's a shout that's rising right now. I believe there's a dance that's rising right now. Some of you may have never even lifted your hands in worship. I believe there's a moment right now of freedom, of freedom, of freedom. There's an ephod moment going on right now where we just get to worship the King. We get to worship the King. We get to join the angelic. We get to join the host of heaven and just worship the King.